Hello, welcome to my secret obsession. I'm Cherish Lively, and this is a winter holiday bonus episode. Today's special guest is Nellie Neves, the author of Sugared and Spice. Today we are talking with Nellie Neves, and just a few weeks ago we listened to her story, Persuade Me, and today we're going to listen to one of her Christmas stories, and it's called Sugared and Spiced. So hello, Nellie, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on again. We're glad you can be here. Um, It's this Christmas time of year, special, lots of fun things going on with uh, all the different winter holidays, and I know that we're in Hanukkah right now, and Christmas is just a week or two away, and then we've got um, Kwanzaa, all sorts of fun things going on. Do you have a story or a memory or something from your childhood or what you're doing now with your kids? Sure. Um, I guess it shouldn't surprise anyone that my Christmas traditions uh, somewhat revolve around a book. Uh, It's actually called The Best Christmas Pageant Ever, and it's by Barbara Robinson. And since I can remember, my family reads this book every single year. Um, when I was a kid, we my grandparents lived, uh, they care took for a fishing game, this old ranch house. And it was on this huge amount of acreage. It was white Christmas every year. One year we even got snowed in for two weeks. Wow. We were so happy as kids. I think my parents were stressed out, but we were just so happy. We couldn't go back to school because there was like three or four feet of snow on the ground. So we couldn't get out and the snow plows weren't coming for forever. We used to spend our Christmases at this, this ranch and it was just so amazing. And I remember every Christmas Eve, we would pull out the book is what we called it. Uh-huh. Uh, the great, the best Christmas pageant ever. And it's the story of the herdsmen's and they're this um, ragtag team of children that kind of are rough around the edges and they kind of take over the Christmas pageant for this sweet little family. And it's just, it's hilarious. It's a very funny story. It's only about seven chapters. I remember when I first got married, our first Christmas Eve together, I said, well, we have to go back to my parents' house because we're going to read the book. Uh And my husband was like, you're going to read a whole book? Like, is it a children's book? And I was like, well, it's like a hundred pages. And he's like, you're going to read a hundred page book in one night. He does not come from a big family of readers. Uh-huh. And so um, I was like, well, the, the words are really big. <laughs> and are there so pictures? Think, he made it through, I think, one chapter. Uh-huh. And then he was just sound asleep. But in his defense, my dad has slept through the book every single year. But what I have is all these memories of my grandpa in the last chapter, every single time um, we would take turns reading it because everyone's voice would get tired. My grandpa would always, he would always tear up at the end and kind of have this moment where you could just feel the spirit of Christmas in the room. You could feel all of those connections, all that thing. And so for me, reading this book every year makes it so that I feel that connection every year to my heritage, to who I am, to uh, Christmas as I know it. It's just so awesome to me to have that. And so in my family, what we do in our little family is instead of reading the entire book in one night, we break it up and we read a chapter each night. Yeah, that sounds nice. It's very nice. We love it. Do you start it early enough so you end on Christmas? We do start it pretty early because um, sometimes my husband can't make it through the whole chapter before he falls asleep. And so we'll read half a chapter, but right. um, we're going to start just this next week. And yeah, we usually end probably two days before Christmas because okay. we know it gets really busy right before Christmas. Yes. 
Well, I think it's probably much easier to do it over several nights than it is all in one. Cause that sounds like that could take you an hour or so or more. Oh, it usually takes about two hours to read. My husband's family used to always read um, the Christmas story. I think it was from Luke, Luke chapter mm-hmm. two, possibly. And so we did that for a little bit when we first got married. So, I mean, that is a nice tradition too, that they had, but I don't know. We just, it takes a lot of time sometimes to read those things. And the kids are always so excited to get busy with the presents. Mm-hmm. And I can't blame them. I sure, I sure am too. And I remember being a kid, you know, we just couldn't wait to open presents. And I know that my dad would always watch the six o'clock news. And, you know, this was back in the eighties where, you know, there weren't news channels that you could just turn on at any time of the day. You had to like, news was on from like six to seven or whatever. And so I remember he always had to watch the news at six. And that was just so challenging for us to have to be so, you know, patient for 30 minutes, you know, we're like, you do not need to know the news. You will live. Let's do Christmas. <laughs> we always opened our presents on Christmas Eve. Oh, so, okay. um, yeah, it's Christmas Eve. So that's why it was always like, oh, can't you just hurry up and watch the news and let us let us do our thing? So no kidding. We got I to know. open up one present on Christmas Eve. We could pick oh, one of any of our presents to open up. Oh. Do you know, do you always choose the one you think is your biggest and best one? Or do you wait to make that your last one to open? When I was a kid, I would pick the one that I didn't really care about. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because you kind of want that suspense and building up to the next day. Yeah, I really like surprises. I'm just like that. I'm not a sneak and peek kind of kid. Uh-huh. Like, I just really love the surprise and and being able to um, just have that big moment on Christmas Day. Yes. So, um, these days, I mostly just hand out, these are your pajamas, like we're going to open them tonight. And so <laughs> yes. that works. And then you have them for Christmas morning. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's fun. It's and fun that. Mom's happy and everyone else is dealing with it. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's fun. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. And um, I have to tell you, I really enjoyed the first few chapters of Sugared and Spice. Um, So Nellie, would you be able to tell us a little bit about Sugared and Spice? Oh, sure. So Sugared and Spice is a loose Romeo and Juliet retelling. Instead of the insta-love and all of that and the tragic ending, what we have instead is enemies to lovers. Mm -hmm. And so um, the idea is that it is the Monroe's uh, versus the Kaplan's. Colette uh, Kaplan has just come back to town to save her family's ranch, and she's determined to do it with her baking skills. And what she doesn't realize is that her enemy, Duke Monroe, the one guy in the entire town she was told never to date, has opened up his own bakery on his ranch, which is right next door. I did not see that part. <laughs> and so she is, uh, it, it opens with a funny incident in the grocery store. And, and we've got that, that moment of seeing each other again for the first time since high school graduation, which is always a fun moment. And there is a whole lot of flour involved. And uh, Duke just has a way about him. He's very confident. And he is the kind of guy that can get under your skin. And yeah. the entire book in the beginning is just a back and forth of the two of them kind of getting after each other. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. Yes. Well, I have to guess, I assume that um, she will be able to save her family's ranch. I don't know. Don't tell us, but I think uh, that's probably going to happen. I did not catch the part. I did not get far enough in to see with the fact that he has his own bakery. So that is interesting because I kind of thought in my mind, I thought he was going to be helping her with that. But it sounds like that's going to be something that they can just compete with 
Oh, yes. They are just competing back and forth. The Monroes have all the money in the world and the Kaplans are always scraping by. Right. And so he has all of the power and prestige and she just has grit and determination. Um, One of my favorite parts is when they're in a pie baking competition against each other and he is sharing a station with her and he is just goading her on the whole time. But (laughs) spoiler alert, she wins. And then his reaction to it is just the best thing in the entire world. And he has this um, sidekick named Walker, Mm -hmm. who's his cousin. And he just kind of ups the ante every time. And it was just so much fun writing these characters. Yeah, they they sound like fun. And and I like being in the first chapter is from her point of view and getting things from her perspective. And then it was neat looking at his perspective. And one thing I wondered was, you know, you know how we have our points of view um, and she thinks so badly of his family. And, you know, he really doesn't think well of her family either, but it's like, how much is, how much are they both actually right? And how much is not drama to, as in they were trying to dramatize it, but one of those things where it's like your perception of something isn't quite accurate or isn't, yeah, isn't necessarily what's actually happening. Right. No. And that's kind of what I wanted to explore was this idea of um, pass down traditions and how we as families can do that. We will pass down uh, certain things that we call truths and then they're not really truths. There's moments where she and Duke will be quietly by themselves and and he'll be like, well, but this isn't true. This is actually what happened. And it's kind of like is this eye opening moment for her where she starts seeing the Monroes aren't all bad. And he's like, well, the Kaplans aren't all screw ups. And it kind of has this eye opening perspective sharing kind of moment. Oh, I was going to say, it kind of sounds like with the two bakeries, it almost made me think of you've got mail with, you know, because it's like the bookstore and then she has her little bookstore. Right. Yeah. That made me think of that when you mentioned that with his his bakery, too. Well, I want to thank you for coming on for uh, for us today. And um, I'm excited for everyone to listen to Sugared and Spiced. The first two chapters are available. And uh, do you have anything else you'd like to say, Nellie? Uh, no, I'm just really happy to be on here. Uh, I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah and Happy Kwanzaa and all the things. It's just such a lovely time of the year. Yes. Um, I just love it so much. Well, thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. Bye-bye. Sugared and spiced. Colette. I'd always found the whole story of Romeo and Juliet absolutely absurd. How on earth, even in disguise, could Romeo have a romantic encounter with someone from across battle lines? What warring family didn't keep track of every member of their enemy's ranks? At some point in time, didn't he think, Oh shoot, she's one of the bad guys. I shouldn't be here. I better scoot. No, that didn't cross his dense mind. I sure know it would have crossed mine. It should have crossed Juliet's pea brain a whole lot sooner than that speech about roses and thorns. I guess that's my curse, growing up like Capulet and knowing the Montagues are bad news. Except I wasn't a Capulet. I was a Kaplan. And our enemies weren't the Montagues. They were the no-good, fence-pushing, cow-stealing, recipe-poaching, orchard-busting Monroe family. Maybe we just took feuds more seriously than those Capulets. Slackers. We passed it all down like Granny's pot roast secrets. I grew up hearing the stories from my parents about how Isaac Monroe's daddy had swindled Grandpappy, Jed Kaplan, out of 20 acres of land, and how Isaac had stolen 12 cows the year I was born because he knew my daddy would be fawning over his only daughter. 
Mama took the time every Christmas to remind me of the time Naomi Monroe stole Grandma's recipe for cherry cream cheese pie, and she won the first prize at the county Christmas bazaar. That injustice had spurred my own love of baking into fruition. Nothing like spite to spice up a pie. I'd grown up learning the misdeeds of the Monroes right alongside learning ABCs and Baba Black Sheep. It was standard Kaplan education. That's why Juliet had no excuse, in my opinion. That's why, no matter how handsome a Monroe got, and they did grow them in the drop-dead gorgeous knees weak and wobbly, draw hearts and a journal around his name kind of way. I could never date a Monroe. Not for a million dollars. A choice orchard or a thousand head of prime steer. I could only cast a flinty eye in the direction of any of them, especially not Duke Monroe, the king jerk of them all. I'd grown up with Duke. We were in the same grade since kindergarten, and maybe in other places that might not mean seeing him much, but in Snowhaven, population, hardly anyone, and possibly more livestock than people at times, we definitely crossed paths. That's the joy of a small town. It's like a big family. Except, the Monroes were the kind of family we wished wouldn't come around for the holidays, or anything at all for that matter. No such luck. Being in the same grade in Snowhaven meant we were in the same class. Every. Single. Year. There was one year where it looked like we might finally have 34 kids in the sixth grade, and we'd have to split. I remembered praying every night that I would end up in the other class and not have to see stupid Duke Monroe every day. My chances looked good until the week before school, when not only did the Jessup family move to Texas, but the Remy twins also tested up a grade and left us all behind. That dropped our class to 31 students, and the school board decided no one would get left behind. I had to sit next to Duke Monroe for 72% of the year. I did the math. Maybe someone might have encouraged me to bury the hatchet, and not in his back, or their heritage trees either, but Duke never gave me the chance. He hated me as much as I hated him. He tied my braids through the slots of my chair. He stole my lunch and fed it to the class hamster. Better believe that pudgy thing ate it all. He copied off my homework and refused to do the work himself. When I complained, he twisted the whole thing around to make it look like I'd copied him. And while everyone knew my name was Colette, and that I preferred to be called Letty, I wore a polka-dotted dress one time, and Duke called me Letty Lottie Polka Dottie, and it stuck with me until junior year of high school. I was awkward back then, too, so the name didn't help. My ears were too big for my head, and my eyes followed suit. Old people called me a Cupid doll, whatever that was. Boring brown hair was my curse, with enough curl to refuse to go straight and not enough to ever become anything but huge. I wore hand-me-downs for my older brother, and it didn't help my image. Everything hung off of me like a tent, but we never had much extra money to buy something nice. That's why I loved that polka dot dress. It actually showed off my figure, and the light purple hue made my brown eyes pop, which was nice, because it distracted from my crooked smile we couldn't afford to fix back then. I showed up for school that day, actually feeling like a girl for once. But then, stupid Duke went and made fun of me. I never wore that dress again. For years, I gave up trying to look like a girl. Junior year, something happened. I grew about four inches over the summer in a freak growth spurt. I got my braces off, 
I spent the summer with cousins who showed me how to style my hair, apply makeup, and they gave me a whole new wardrobe. It only took two weeks before friends started calling me Cole, a much more sophisticated name to go with my new look. I was a new person to everyone. Everyone except Duke Monroe. Cheetahs can't change their spots, and rattlesnakes are too proud of their pattern to even consider changing for something better. I was all too happy when Duke announced before graduation that he was moving away and never coming back. I felt like I should salute him and tag on a good riddance for fun, but decided the most Christian thing would be to never say another word to him again. Being rid of Monroe didn't mean we were rid of them all. Our land bordered theirs and always had. But when Snowhaven was being settled, it was a Kaplan and a Moreau who grabbed up the largest plots. Granted, as family legend went, the Monroes pulled some tricks and swapped the parcels. But even with my cynicism, that felt like a stretch. Being honest, my dad had a tendency to blame bad fortune on others. Not saying the Monroes didn't deserve it. They certainly did. But the guy blamed the weather for bad crops, even while everyone else had a bumper year. He claimed he had a bad herd of cows, even though others did just fine with the same bloodline. He never learned to take responsibility for his failures. In fact, if you asked him, he'd tell you that he's never failed. Maybe that's why I left home for a while. I needed a break. My brother Crispin stayed on to help. I took a lot of heat for leaving, but in reality, I did it for the ranch. I got a degree in business on a full-ride scholarship, so I didn't tax my parents. And I worked for three years straight with no breaks. I didn't stop there. Knowing we needed something new around the ranch to revitalize things, I went to pastry school for two years. I'd seen my family here and there over the years. We met up in California twice. I made it to my great-grandmother's funeral in Oregon and saw everyone then, but in reality, I hadn't been home in five years. I wasn't planning to come home for Christmas for the first time this year anyway, but after the accident, it wasn't a choice. Sweetheart, Mom threw her arms around me. Where's your coat? I'm wearing a coat, Mom. She pulled back and stared at me like I'd lost my mind in that airport terminal. This? She picked at my pea coat. This is not a coat. This is hardly a jacket. She took my hand and started for the exit. Don't worry. I found a thick one for you at the Salvation Army. It's not real fashionable, I suppose. But can you believe it was only three dollars? Strangely, yes, I could absolutely believe it was only three dollars, because even the Salvation Army does markdowns when something doesn't get sold for months on end. The lower the price got, the uglier the coat. But I loved my mom, and I would wear it to make her happy. It wasn't like I had anyone to impress in Snowhaven. To her credit, the second the icy wind hit me, winters at home all came rushing back. I'd spent the last three years in California soaking up the sunshine. Coming home to a real winter was going to shock my system. I worried I might beg for the coat before we walked through the front doors. I thought Crispin was coming to pick me up. I reached for the keys, knowing Mom wasn't supposed to be driving. Her eyes were okay, but when the clouds started to thicken with pending snow, she didn't see as well. There was a problem with the sleigh. With opening day tomorrow, we need that thing up and running. She sets the keys in my hand and headed for the far side of the truck. I don't have to tell you that this year is a make-it-or-break-it one. If it doesn't go well, I think we'll have to call the realtor. Don't say that. I tossed my bag in the bed of the truck and unlocked the door. I climbed up and leaned across the cab to unlock her side, 
With a couple of small hops, my short mother managed to climb inside. I set the key in the ignition and paused. If we sell another ten acres to the Monroes, there won't be hardly anything left. She stared at me with mournful eyes. Honey, we won't be selling land. If we call the realtor, we'll sell the whole thing. My mouth fell open. Frigid air seeped inside, threatening to chill me all the way through. It can't be that bad, Mom. You said you were making it. I would have come home and helped if I thought. What good would that have done, Colette, other than pull you away from a future worth living? We knew better. She turned to face forward. I didn't push it. She didn't want to talk about the last five years. When Mom shut things down, she meant it. I jammed the keys in the ignition and turned up the heat. What else is happening around town? Anything exciting? I wished I could chase the foreboding gloom from the air as quickly as the heater started to warm the car. Melissa Bondere just had a new baby. He's the cutest little porker there ever was. Mandy Sachs is home for the holidays. Maybe you can catch up. What a delight. Meet up with all the girls I graduated with and see their babies and husbands and homes of their own. Maybe, I agreed, though I had no intention of calling or seeing anyone. I didn't even know how long I'd be staying. I couldn't make the decision until I saw how bad it had gotten while I was gone. Anything else? I focused on the road, knowing she wouldn't stop talking for the majority of the trip. Small town living was wholesome and everything, but the downside was that everyone, even my saintly mother, knew everyone's business. I wondered how long it would take before the whole town knew I'd come home. It wouldn't be long before the Monroes knew, that was for sure. And if Duke was around, it wouldn't be long before he started making trouble. Just the thought of him got my heart pumping, with his arrogant, crooked smirk and dark hair that always looked good, even when he wasn't trying. Picturing his dark eyes and the way they could send a message without saying a word, I'd watched him turn half the student body into little ducklings waddling after him, and had always avoided being under his spell. Mostly. In all honesty, no one should ever be allowed to look as good as Duke Monroe. He had some kind of magic about him, because while my rational brain knew he was trouble, the rest of me wondered what it would be like to... I cleared my throat and thought of peeling off a few layers to compensate for the heat. Hopefully he was still gone. There was no telling what trouble I'd get into if Duke was back in town. Chapter 2. Colette I'll be so quick, honey, you won't even need to come in with me. Don't be silly, Mom. I parked the truck outside. Of course I'm coming with you. Christmas lights were strung across the main street. A wreath hung on every light pole. Living in a place like Snowhaven, located in Kringle County, the people decided long ago that the name was the greatest tourist attraction, and they turned into that skid hard. The shops were all Christmas-themed. The roads all had connections to Holiday Cheer. In fact, one of my elementary friends lived on Holiday Cheer Avenue. Even two days after Thanksgiving, with the town already dripping in decorations, I knew we weren't even close yet. Within a week, we would become a winter wonderland, and the tourists would roll in. Granted, our ranch depended on that, and I had plans to steal the center stage this year. How stocked up are we for baking supplies? I asked as we entered the shop. A clerk passed me, elf ears taped to the sides of his head. In the past, it wouldn't have fazed me, but I'd been gone for a while. Oh, we don't have much, 
Mom grabbed a cart and started for the dairy section. Are you going to do some baking while you're home? That's the plan. I didn't actually, I didn't actually run the plan by her. I was too nervous she'd shut me down before I started. They were all on board for the business degree. That made sense. But when I wanted to go to pastry school, it sounded like I was running off in a new direction. In reality, it wasn't. I'd done my homework. I knew what could save us. Or at least I hope I did. You know, I love it when you cook. Mom pulled a couple gallons of milk from the case. I frowned. When did you stop buying milk from Olson's Dairy? We'd been buying from them for as long as I could remember. When I was a kid, the milk still came in glass bottles and Neil Olson used to leave them on the porch. They closed down two years ago, she shook her head. It's been a rough go of things lately. Folks don't want the old-fashioned way of doing things. That's all that Snowhaven is, really. I hated the way she consigned herself to losing, like there was nothing I could do about it. Where did Neil and Edith move? They didn't move. They're still out there on the dairy farm. They just don't make a business out of it. I chewed on the inside of my lip. I hated being late. Showing up with not only the ranch suffering, but the whole town as well. I felt like I'd walked in on a meeting about to adjourn. I grabbed the handle on one of the milk jugs and put it back in the case. Mom stared at me, like I'd lost my mind. Crispin likes his chocolate milk before bed. I know he's 28 and a father now, but that doesn't stop him from. I'm fixing this. I want to grab the other jug, but Mom clamped her hands over it to stop me. Fixing what, dear? Your brother? It's not possible. Trust me, I've tried. No, the dairy ranch. Our ranch. This whole stupid town that's determined to slide into oblivion with no fight whatsoever. I jerked the milk jug, but she kept a firm hold on it. I'm fixing it. That's fine, Colette. But you won't fix it by tonight, and Crispin is cranky when he comes by and we're out of milk. Hands firmly attached to the cart, she pushed on. I wasn't sure if she didn't believe me, or if she didn't think it was possible, or if milk was clearly the most important thing she had to do today. But my frustration rose higher. I crossed my arms over my chest like a child and trailed after her. I urged the cart down the baking aisle. In my experience, all good things started with flour and sugar, and usually a hefty amount of butter. Everything was better with butter. I bent low to wrestle a 25-pound bag of sugar from the bottom shelf. Do you really need that much, Letty? Mom used my childhood nickname when she thought I was acting childish. From what I'm planning? Sure. I hefted it into the cart and let it fall hard. I told you, I'm going to fix all of this. Oh, Letty, there's nothing to fix. This is the nature of the world. No one wants what we have to offer. She blazed on while I returned for an equally large bag of flour. It's not just us. The whole town is suffering. I don't think a little baking is going to help bring folks in. The pumpkin patch was meager. No one wanted to pick apples. I'm glad you're home for your father's sake. But don't do that thing you do when you try to take on the world. I'm not taking on the world, Mom. Just Snowhaven. I yanked on the bag of flour. A corner of it came loose, but that didn't matter. I'd be opening it tomorrow anyway. And I thought you'd be happy. I moved to toss the bag of flour in the car, but Mom intercepted me. You're avoiding the real reason you're home. It's what we Kaplans do best. She gripped the bag to steal it away, but I tightened my grasp. Mom narrowed her eyes. Colette, 
Anastasia Kaplan. You put this bag back right now. My stubborn resolve solidified. No, I have a plan and it's going to work. A few people filtered in from nearby aisles. I ignored them, determined to win. No way was I giving in to her way of thinking. There's nothing to be done. We have to let fate take the reins. She yanked hard on the bag, easily prying it from my hands. Hey, hey, what's going on there, ladies? I didn't bother to turn around and look at the man who'd stepped in to interrupt us. Not when I had a point to make. I don't believe in fate. Someone's hand caught my shoulder. I geared up for one final pull to end all pulls. That bag of flour would be mine. I make my own fate. At that exact moment that I twisted to pull with all my might, my mother put her hands up in defeat. My eyes widened as I realized my mistake, but it was too late. The inertia of the movement launched me backwards. I toppled in reverse, a futile attempt at staying upright, and in my stumbling, skittering, tumbling train of a wreck moment, I took out not only myself, but the man who'd stepped in to stop our fight. He hit first with a hard grunt. I collapsed directly on top of him. But the flower, that exploded all over me. Fine powder went up my nose, in my mouth, and coated my clothes. I blew out a breath and made a cloud of all-purpose dust. Mom and the few that had gathered laughed at the sight once it was obvious that I hadn't been hurt. I coughed and rolled off the man cushion that had braced my fall. I stayed on my hands and knees for a second, shaking my head to clear the flower away. It felt like new snow on the cracked linoleum. Wow, you're a mess, the guy said from the left. Glad you took the brunt of all that. Oh, what a charmer. Happy to help, I mumbled. I straightened slightly and patted down my sweater and peacoat. He made it to his feet before me. Let me help you up. His hand extended toward me. My flower-drenched hand slipped into his, and he pulled me back to standing. I let go and tried to brush off more of the flower, but it felt like a losing battle. Thanks for the hand up, and sorry about the accident. Are you... I look up and stopped mid-sentence. Ice filled my veins as I realized my mistake. I ripped my hand free of his. A sneaky smile spread over his perfect lips. Duke Monroe. His dark brown eyes traveled down the length of me with the urgency of a lazy Sunday morning drive. Then they flipped a U-turn and enjoyed the view all the way back up. Wicked heat rose in his expression as he shook his head and clicked his tongue. Well, I'll be. His left eyebrow twitched like a conspirator. Letty Lottie Polka Dottie. His perfectly white teeth clamped down on his bottom lip. Even with flour all over you, you're looking good, aren't you? I rolled my eyes, ready to fire back, but Mom stopped laughing the second she realized he was a Monroe boy. Don't look at my daughter like that. She shoved herself between us and shook her finger in his face until it nearly went up his nose. Eyeing her like a piece of meat, I got a mind to tan your hide. Heaven knows your mother never did. A lot of bluster from a lady who teared up at the thought of spanking us. Granted, she was a master of saying, I'm just disappointed, and making us all wither in shame. Duke backed up like she was a mountain lion advancing. I meant no disrespect, ma'am. I was merely paying a compliment. He leaned around my mother to try to get one look at me. Who knew a Kaplan could grow up so hot? You go on, she smacked his thin jacket, but it probably had the impact of a pillow with all the layers he had on. 
And don't come around here either. Colette deserves a lot better than a Monroe monster like you. Duke backed up, but laughed the whole way like Mom was one big joke. That's how the Monroes treated us. Like toys they could play with. Good to have you back in town. I'll see you around, Lottie. I rolled my eyes and scowled as he walked away, while Mom stayed as bristled as a barn cat after a brawl. Can you believe him? She muttered, having the gall to look at my daughter that way. I wasn't sure who she was talking to exactly. What with me being the daughter she was referring to. But I hefted a new bag of flour into the basket, alongside what was left of my old one. Curiosity drove me to get one last look at Duke. I knew what had brought me home. But after all his bluster leaving, what had actually brought him back? Duke. Those Kaplans. It's a wonder they were ever allowed in public with the rest of the human race. Like feral creatures. They had tempers like a mountain cat. Granted, I never tired of watching Colette rage. There was something so adorable about watching her tiny body get riled up like she was going to explode, just to simmer out to a whimper. Ever since we were kids, I loved getting a rise out of her. I learned to braid so I could lace her hair between the slats of her chair. I pulled an all-nighter to beat her at the spelling bee in seventh grade, just to watch her fume. I once paid someone 20 bucks to break into the school database and change the name on file to the nickname I gave her. Letty Lottie Polkadotti. She nearly went nuclear when the unsuspecting substitute teacher took role. I couldn't help it. She's a Kaplan. I'm a Monroe. We grew up this way, always sniping and picking at each other. Sure, most people were good neighbors, but the Kaplans always had a bone to pick. They were constantly trying to get us busted for one thing or another. Just like her dad, Colette never learned to take responsibility for her own actions. She should have studied harder for the spelling bee. She should have opened her mouth when the subs started saying her name wrong. I guess I could take some responsibility for the braids. That might have been all me. They claimed we stole things or moved fences, grafted our trees with their branches. But the honest truth was, the Kaplans were jealous. Monroes were successful, and they were failures. Still, I'd never forgotten junior year when Colette came home after being away for the summer. She left a tomboy and came back someone else. Gone were her brother's baggy jeans, two sizes too big t-shirts, and her untamed hair. Wherever she went that summer, she came back 157% girl. She probably was all along, but her daddy couldn't run a ranch. They never had the cash to buy her anything decent. It wasn't just the clothes or the makeup, though. It was everything. She'd gained confidence and ambition. I always thought she'd be stuck in this town, get married young and stay on the property, kind of like her brother did. But not long after I left, I heard through the gossip train that she'd gone off to school, too. Seeing her today, even covered in flour, I couldn't help a few feelings that surfaced, feelings that I shook a long time ago. Feelings no Monroe should have for a Kaplan girl. All that led to trouble. But then, I'd always been a fan of making trouble. Thank you for sharing your time with me. I hope you enjoyed Nellie Neves' Sugared and Spice. It's available on Amazon and can be read for free with Kindle Unlimited. To keep up with various novels and authors that we feature, you can follow my secret obsession on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Cherish Lively. Or visit the website at 
tinyurl.com slash cherishlively. Happy holidays!